probably all be checking in with someone every now and then. After we, we imploded in the league last year, I wasn't right for yeah. a long time. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTV Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, you're very welcome along. Heineken Champions Cup weekend to come. Very happy to bring in Mr. Matthew Williams. Hello. Hi, Jared. Good to talk to you, mate. Yeah, likewise. Anyone ever call you Matthew? Um, I think if we compared notes, only my mother when she was angry with me. Yeah, that's generally, uh, generally the one. Did your mother call you Joseph when she was angry with you? Joseph meant bad things. Yes, Matthew meant bad things as well. Okay, understood. So we might start with Heineken Champions Cup. We have Connacht Leinster Friday, 8 o'clock. We have Toulouse against Ulster, 3.15 on the Saturday. Exeter, Munster, half past five on the Saturday. It's going to be interesting to see how this captures the imagination or to what extent it does. This was, you know, a litmus test for this new schedule. The, the, the group stages we had uh, maybe didn't fire and the payoff is hopefully about to happen. That's the thinking, anyway. Yeah, that's the theory on paper, Joe. Um, as I've said on your show before, I'm not a fan in any way of the new format. I think it really downgrades the competition. But having said that, there are some very good games coming up this weekend. The problem is, for the competition as a whole, uh, when you look at their performance over a 12-month period, a lot of the clubs haven't earned their position in a playoff slash round of 16 stage. So where the public stands and the, and the power it generates, it, we, we have to find out over the next month. So basically they're banking on a five-game run, the two six, round of 16 games home and away, quarter, semi and final to, to generate the, the momentum, uh, if you like. Mm. Um, and the jury's out. Uh, I don't like it. I'll be upfront in saying that, but we, we've got to give it the time to see where it it, uh, it takes us. We might start with the Friday night game and let's look at this initially from a Connacht point of view because it's mission impossible in some respects from their point of view. Their form of late, very average. Uh, they steadied the ship somewhat at the weekend with a 21-17 win in Treviso. Mac Hansen was back, Jack Cardy was back, Finlay Bealham was back and Bundyaki is due to be back for the game against Leinster. But before that, it was worrying. They lost 45-8 against Leinster at home an early red card notwithstanding and then the week before that 56 points conceded away to Edinburgh they lost 56 points to 8 and they've had some other not great score lines February 4th before that 32 points conceded away to Ulster scored 12 their defence Matt's been very average they have conceded the second most points in the URC only Benetton are below them so those score lines worry you going into any competition not least against Leinster yeah they have to they have to um their attack has been really um, positive, a positive aspect. They're playing very Leinster-like in their in their play as Andy Friend is, his heritage and, and the way he's always coached is such a positive mindset on how to play the game. And they're trying to get in position very fast like Leinster and Ireland do, <clears throat> play off the front foot, play quick ball. But as you say, Joe, it's, uh, it's what happens when the opposition have got the ball that really catches them. There was one try on the weekend... Um, uh, the Benetton scored that put them in the lead. At, I think it was about the 70-minute mark. It might have been the 68th minute. But, you know, it, it put them in the lead with a, a Benetton in the lead with the final few minutes. And, of course, um, uh, Connor came back and scored a, a very good try later in late in the game. 
but it was everything that's wrong with Connaught. You could see that their Connaught defence. You could see they are very compact. They overcommitted. That is, they jam in. They come in, and they left a good, I'd say, twenty-five metres of the width of the field unmanned. And Benetton just threw some nice passing. Give Benetton credit. Got the ball to that part of the field, and and they um, they exploited the space against Connaught. Now the problem for Connaught is that's that's everyday bread and butter for Leinster. That's what they do better than almost anyone in Europe. Um, having said all that, uh, I know for a fact that uh, Leinster hate going to the sports ground. It's Leinster's least favourite ground in the world to go to. They don't, and they've that's been a graveyard for them over the years. And Connors have a history of rising up against Leinster. That's their that's their game. They love standing up for that and and, uh, and the enterprise, but especially against Leinster. So. You know, this is almost Mission Impossible. Any other club, I'd say it was, but not quite for this leg. Um, they've got to keep every, kind of got to keep everyone on the field. You can see the game is just so hard when you get a red card or even a couple of yellow cards. It's it's almost impossible to hold the quality attack that Leinster have out. But you, you, you've, they've just got to get their do right. Now, that's it's a bit of a trite statement I'm making because they haven't done that today. And they're going to have to defend a lot, lot better than they have done this year if they've got any hope. And do the tries uh, they're conceding and the issues even you highlighted from uh, Treviso at the weekend, do they strike you as individuals making bad reads or bad errors or does it speak more to the system in some way? I think there's a little bit of both there. Andy's going to... Andy friends, good mate. <laughs> I've got to put my cards on the table. I had, a, I had a beer with him a couple of weeks ago and I love seeing him again. He's a great guy. Yeah. So, and I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to do that. We had a... A private chat. I'm not discussing anything we said there, <laughs> but but um, um, you know, the, the, I think their system of set play, and, and we, Andy and I didn't talk about this. We didn't talk, you know, nuts and bolts. But in my opinion, their system of defence of set play, as we I just described, especially in their 22, is not it's it's not good for them as a team. In other words, you've got to have a system that suits your talents. And I just think when they come up against really high-quality, skilled teams, that is what the top end of the European final is about, they get caught out with that. In amongst all of that, there's some really bad missed tackles, some really, really bad missed tackles that are not anything to do with anyone except the individual player's responsibility. Okay. So they've got both, they've got both problems going for them, Joe, which is, which is tough. Okay. I suspect you and Andy Friend talked about Eddie Jones for about a half hour, did you? <laughs> He, he did come up in the conversation. <laughs> Nothing sure. He did come up in the conversation. <laughs> Andy, uh, Andy has some great, great stories about him because he worked for him for a while. Yeah, some great stories. But yeah, look, Andy's a champion fella, and uh, was we haven't had a chance to sit down and have a long talk for for many years. So it was a, it was a really, really great night. Yeah, I'm sure. On Leinster, then. Uh, I don't really know how to analyse Leinster for about three quarters of the season. Like, they look great. They always look great at this point. They're sailing through group stages in Europe. They're sailing through URC opposition. And then in recent years, they've been sucker punched by a La Rochelle or a Saracens. And so in a sense, I feel like what Leinster is just a countdown for three quarters of the season until we can get into the real stuff. So that part of the season is approaching. What are you saying about them this year, Matt? Well, Joe, I, I sort of take it as a, and you and I have had this conversation before as well, but I take it from a different point of view. I, I'm not, 
I just you're just not going to win Europe every year. It just doesn't happen. Mm. You know, the most it's been done is to lose with five. It just doesn't happen. It's too hard. Leinster last year go to um, Exeter played quite magnificent rugby. Yes, almost some of the, the the second half was equal with anything I've seen Leinster play in 20, 23 years. It was magnificent rugby, and then they they lose to La Rochelle the week later. Everyone says they can't handle the big guys, but two is you know. <laughs> Uh, Exeter at Sandy Park, that, that's that's renowned for its its physicality and the the forward pack and the and the boring but but very uh, abrasive nature of of Exeter's rugby. So I, I just think you've got to have all the stars aligned for you in Europe to win it. That's just the way it is. The last couple of years that hasn't happened, but Leinster have played magnificent rugby, and and last year they had a crap draw. They had a really tough draw. It's, it was a COVID year like this year is, and they're going to have a tough draw again this year, I feel, because of the, the injustice that I believe was measured out to them after they had to were forced not to play the Montpellier game. So we'll have to wait and see after the round of 16 where they land. Yeah. If you don't get a home quarter, it's really hard. It is a really, really hard road to hoe if you don't get a home quarter. So um, Leinster are very capable. They're playing great rugby. You look now, now let's if we switch that on its head, Joe, I was watching um, the game against Munster and the basically the Irish forward pack comes out and then the Irish forward bench comes out yeah, at the six-minute minute mark, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, at the international level, no-one's saying, gee, we got out-muscled by France, we got out-muscled by England, now England to get a player sent off. We didn't get out-muscled. It was hard and it was, it was tough, but that was the Leinster pack against the French pack made up from, I think, four clubs or five clubs the starting team across across France. Yeah. So we got to we got to keep this in a perspective. Yes, they did lose some bad, and I wouldn't say bad games, but they didn't play well, and they don't deserve to win. To win in Europe, everything has to go your way. You've got to beat injuries. You've got to make sure everyone's fit and healthy. You've got to be mentally strong. You've got to get a good draw, and on that day, everyone's got to turn up and be be good. And look, I can show you the scars where that just doesn't happen, but it's it's it can happen for Leinster for sure. There's no two ways about it. It can happen this year. It's a weird competition mm. in the restructuring. So there's things we don't know. There's things that Leo Cullen doesn't know. But right now, they are playing exceptionally good rugby. Yes, and yeah. they're our favourites across the board generally with the bookies and Toulouse as well as the general view on things. Yeah. You know, it's quite interesting. It's a national pastime here to wonder what will happen with Ireland if Johnny Sexton doesn't play. We don't talk about Leinster in those ter- terms. Is that because Ross Byrne has certainly proven himself at, at European level? I know a lot of people thought he was very good, for instance, against uh, Munster. And, and yet, when it comes to international honours, we don't really... He's not featuring in the conversation uh, so much over the last uh, year, 18 months in particular. And yet, we don't kind of say, God, what will Leinster do if there's no Johnny? Leinster in great shape with no Johnny. All and on. But Leinster, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it sounds, sounds counterintuitive. I think a bit of that is Leo. I, I, I'll, I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll wind back a little bit. Up. I looked at that, that Leinster team, and I saw what he what he'd done with his out halves, and I went, "Wow! Like you really want to, you know? I mean, you've got to beat Munster. Like that's and all the old boys are texting each other, going, you know, you've got to beat Munster, you've got to beat Munster.' And all the Munster boys are texting each other, you've got to beat Leinster, you've got to beat Leinster.' And Leo gets it right again. Leo gets his selections absolutely spot on, and he does it time and time and time again. So I think a big difference in Ross Byrne's mental state when he runs out for Leinster, as he knows the coach believes in him. 
But to be fair to the national boys, when Ross has been given his chance at the national level, he hasn't grabbed it. But then neither has anyone. But I do believe we have not seen the best of Ross Byrne. I do believe Ross Byrne has a role to play in a green jersey. And I think he proved that last weekend, that he is not by no means a spent force. And some guys just take longer to mature. And, you know, maybe he's got time in him. I personally... Um, have always rated him. And I've been very disappointed with the way he's played in a green jersey. But I haven't lost faith in him. And Leo obviously hasn't. And Ross in a blue jersey have, hasn't lost faith in his own abilities. Mm. So it's a really interesting co- uh, position for Ross to be in and for um, and for that out-half position for Ireland. Yeah, it's very striking. Ulster are in Toulouse. So what a reward for a very good group stage uh, on Ulster's part. And then, we look, it's hard to read too much into recent form because uh, the Six Nations are still washing out of the system, but they're off the back of two defeats in South Africa. Those South African sides are, are hitting their uh, straps on home soil. Uh, Toulouse, since the start of the Six Nations, have lost six of nine matches. Lost six of nine. However... 10 of their players are off winning a Grand Slam and sadly for Ulster they're pretty much back so uh, I was going to ask you Ulster here uh, of late have a lot of great players in their back line and can put together brilliant passages of rugby and and, and, and veer more towards like a a free-flowing style when they're at their best now that would strike me if Toulouse if you're bringing that Toulouse uh, to Toulouse rather Toulouse will say beautiful I mean you want to play that kind of a game we're all in Do, do Ulster need to almost go back to like very structured, uh, kind of traditional, bad Irish weather type uh, effort here away in France? If it rains in Toulouse, when I was to play, it will be a blessing for them. But the forecasts don't look good for that, Joe. We had a cold snap, <coughs> excuse me, last week. If anyone watched the, um, the uh, Irish women's test, was in Toulouse and it was bitterly cold. Was it, I think Saturday was the coldest uh, uh April, sorry, April night since 1947. So it was really, really cold down here. But I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday. The weather's changed. The problem with going into Toulouse, Joe, is you've got to score points. Yeah. You can't rope with that. You can't rope with that. They're going to score a minimum of three tries. Okay. Usually, usually four. So you've got to go in with the same mindset. And if you're going to, the other part is you've got to keep your for and against up. If you get smacked, and you get beaten by 30 points, it's really hard to, at the end of that round, the home and away fixtures to be on top, even if you win at home. So, I, I'm, excuse me for knocking my computer there. I, I don't think they'll do that. I'm, it's very interesting too. Ugo Muller, the coach of Toulouse um, during the Six Nations, was saying how hard it is to win both competitions. In other words, to win the top 14 and to win the uh, European Cup. I have a sneak, and, and Gino Vez... Before him, the, the legendary Toulouse coach used to have the same approach. He would always say, "It's one or the other. You very rarely get two. And, and last year, Toulouse got the double. I don't. I actually don't think they're going for it. I think they're going for Europe. Now, they, they lost a lot of games because they had a lot of players out and they had some injuries. Those boys came back and they were really tired last week. They, they got beaten by Cast, and Cast deserved to win. It was a close game and they lost it in the dying seconds, but still, Cast deserved to win that game. I think you'll see a different Toulouse on Saturday because they'll be looking where they are in the top 14. They won't give up. They're about six. I just checked the scores, the uh, uh, ladder before we came on, mm. and they're six. They're not out of it, but you've got to finish in the top two in the top 14 to have a shot at doing both because you get some weekends off. If you don't, 
you're basically playing knockout rugby in Europe and in the top 14 for almost two months, and it's just not possible. You can't keep it up. So I think I think their eggs are in the, in the Heineken Cup basket, and and that they're again in the competition, Joe. What that is not a reward. A competition should be structured that rewards excellence across the season, across the pool stages, and that competition has not rewarded Ulster with anything but pain. Well, God bless them all the same to lose because we need some of these teams to start taking the competition seriously and treating it as a as a marquee event so that is fascinating and, and will that go down okay with the Toulouse fans I suspect so given the rich tradition um, look I, I don't want to give the impression that Muller's put up the, uh, Ugo Muller's put up the white flag sure and, you know we're, we've given up on the top 14 he's just saying the facts it is really tough to, to do both and, and that has been he's not the first French coach to say that because the top 14 mate is it's an endurance event starts in in late August and goes till the first weekend in June. You know, you just, they're just absolutely shattered. So a lot of these clubs are looking forward to Europe to get a weekend off. You know, it'd be really fascinating to see what Montpellier do this weekend against uh, Harlequins because Montpellier are leading the top 14. Like, uh, Philippe Saint-André, the new director of rugby who's come in there, has done a miracle job on this club and they are leading top 14 in, in early April. And he's going to be with the Holy Grail is is the Bookies de Brennus, the, the 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 trophy for the for the top fourteen. He's going to be after that. Mm. So what does he do in Europe? This will be a really fascinating selection. So that that you sort of figure it out from who they pick. Yeah. But I'll, I'll guarantee you this, mate. Like Toulouse, are uh, no holes barred going for Europe. That that's their club. Very interesting. Now, I, I think that'll be a really really um, great exhibition to, for for the Ulster fans. This is certainly one of those games where the first, second leg dynamic is to the fore, I think. It's generally in, in certainly Champions League and, and the football we watch, it's, it's seen as a great advantage to have the second leg at home where you know what you have to do. So what would be a good deficit for Ulster to take back to Belfast and what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's, that's a really, really tough... I'll start with the easy part. To lose, they're going to win this game well. The whole tournament's going to spin, from an Ulster point of view, is going to spin on that deficit. Toulouse will win, but can they can they stay close to them so that the points for and against is um, is you know is minim is minimalised, and can they limit Toulouse to to not scoring too much? In other words, you know the bonus point system doesn't don't come into play, and what we do here and there. Mm. So, look, a, a close loss will be as good as a, a, a close win for, for Ulster. You know, I really do fancy Ulster at home at Ravenhill. It's a very special place. When I was coaching them up there, the crowds, they really get behind you. You know, we had Harlequins once uh, there and they'd beaten us at the stoop. We came home, you know, it did rain uh, coming in sideways <laughs> off the lock, which was a, a plus. But the crowd lifts. The players believe in themselves at Ravenhill what they don't believe in themselves at other venues. And they, they could spring a greater upset at home, but they've got to stay close at Stad Wallen. That's going to be the key. Yeah. I saw DuPont working his magic again at the weekend. He just it, Invariably, he pops up on everyone's Twitter feed doing something stupid. Like, I've kind of, I'm, I'm kind of sick of you guys on Virgin doing a DuPont piece before a game because we just do it every game. But, like, <laughs> you know, he, he won't stop. He won't stop. But we, we let everyone into our... Uh, 
pre, pre-show uh, phone hookups. Everyone goes, oh, we're so sick of seeing that brilliant little scrum half DuPont. Let's show, some, let's show someone who's ordinary, you know. And the trouble is, you know, he's World, World Rugby Player of the Year and, and uh, Player of the Six Nations. And to try the, the defensive systems that are used at the moment, without getting too technical, yeah. but they don't set up, they allow the, the players that arrive around the ruck to, to what they call flow, to move. Now, in the old days, they used to lock one and two into the system. So whoever was first and second arriving, you couldn't leave. Your job was to stay there. And the whole idea was to stop great scrum halves that were around, around then, like, like Justin Marshall and, and the players at the turn of the century. Uh, Georgie Gregan was another one that they were trying to stop in those days. Now, because that's changed, because the threat was out wide, DuPont is just having a field day with the big props in, in at that around the ruck. And soon as he's just, you watch him, he goes in and he just lifts his head and he looks at their hips or toes. And if their toes are pointing out, that means their first step is away and he's into this space here. Mm. And he's he just a genius at it. And the other thing he does, he'll run, hold them in, okay, now they're square. Then he'll throw the pass out the back to Entomac. So he's held three or four defenders straight away. That creates space out wide. It's so easy for me to explain, but doing that in the heat of battle, doing it every ruck week after week and doing it brilliantly and making just incredibly good decisions all the time, it's, he, is, he is on the verge of being regarded as one of the all-time great players. He's a bit young for us to get to that yet, but he, if he keeps healthy, and I hope he does, I really hope he does, he's going to tick all the boxes because they're going to win things. He's going to perform. He's going to be a leader. He's going to he's going to be the captain. And he's a champion. And he's we're going to we're on a, a period of time like watching Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell. We have got an all time a potential all time great that our generation is going to have the pleasure of watching for a number of years. To tap into your uh, French insight again for a moment, so uh, Bordeaux La Rochelle is one of the games this weekend, and it just so happens they played each other in the top fourteen. The weekend just gone. It was a big win for La Rochelle, sixteen points to fifteen. A big win for Ron Lagarde that nudges them up to third in the table on the heels yep. of Bordeaux, who are in uh, second. People at this stage would have seen O'Gara and Christophe Urias on the sideline having a tête-à-tête. Urias uh, afterwards quoted as calling O'Gara unbearable which was a hell of a line. I mean, I'd agree with it, obviously. <laughs> it was a hell of a thing to say. Um, oh, and Rog, Rog, Rog was basically saying, like, you know, he didn't appreciate that I was encouraging my players and I'm a young coach. I need to talk a lot. I want my players to hear me on the pitch. I have a lot of energy. It's important that I pass it on to them, is what O'Gara said. And, you know, much ado about nothing. Does Urias have previous here? And, and what's been the, the reaction here? Oh, well... It's just been a bit of pantomime, hasn't it? It's been, I, I have just laughed so much. When you know Ryan and O'Gara, and I haven't coached against him for a decade, he's the most competitive human being you could possibly imagine. You walk off the pitch, and Ryan's an absolute gentleman. And I, I, you know, you know him well, Joe. He's a great guy. I love his company. Yeah. I love, I, but you go into any form of competition against Ryan and O'Gara, and he's going to throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink. What he did. What he did, and it's not for me to throw, I'm in a glass house here because I've had my arguments as well, so I'm, I'm not criticising, I'm telling. Mm. Ryan went down the side and he did step out. of. There's a little rectangle uh, on the side, same as, as, as soccer, you know, the, the coaches and managers are supposed to stay in it. Now, 
the vast majority around the world, it's not a problem because the coaches sit up in the stand, which Ronan usually does as well because that's the Australian, New Zealand, Irish way of doing things. The coach sits up in the stand because you've got the big pitch you can see the whole pitch. The French thing is much more ego-driven by the head coach who's on the sideline. Now, when you're on the sideline, you actually can see bugger all. It's not a good place for a coach to be. He should be up in the stands, but the French like it because they're in the cameras and, you know, it's it's what the, what the people expect and the coaches like. I don't agree with it. Ronan went down late in the game because it's this real tussle that La Rochelle kicked the penalty goal, um, I say West kicked the penalty goal literally after full time to win the game. And it was a big, big win for them. And they just had a, a clash head to head. The, the fourth official should have said to Rog, hey, Rog, just, just stay within that rectangle and you're all right. He came out a bit. And Euros was out of his, I thought was out of line, going over to Ronan and, and saying it. He let, and so he does the same thing. He leaves his box to tell him to stay in his box, you know. So it, it was much to do about nothing. But his comments after the game <laughs> I thought were very funny and I, I thought Ronan was was very uh, restrained from not saying something back. But, uh, <laughs> it was really, it was, it was, it was a pantomime yeah. on the on the side. But for those people that know Ronan, as everyone in Ireland does, it was very funny. Yeah, and man, that they have to see each other again this weekend, and then the yeah, as well. I mean, oh that's the God. one I'm looking for. Because I'll have I'll have money. Sorry, Joe, I'll have money. Ronan baits him. I'll have money oh. on. Ronan goes out of his way to bait. Christoph, you think he's unbearable now? Come back to us in <laughs> three weeks. Uh, Munster then, away to Exeter, 1934 defeat uh, to Leinster. I don't know how much of the media you've followed over here over the last couple of days, but the general sense has been uh, very dispiriting from a yeah. Munster point of view. That's 11 Leinster wins in 13 meetings. It's hard to fathom if you go back not so long ago in Irish rugby. Peter O'Mahony was talking yesterday, and O'Mahony obviously has a very intense loyalty to the camp. And even he said, he used the phrase, it's not ideal when he was referring to the management situation, the question marks over who's coming in. So I would think that's a hell of a euphemism if you were to talk to him uh, privately. For instance, Liam Toland, who's often, you know, very reasoned judge of things, was on the show on Monday. And he used the phrase of, of some of Munster's approach against Leinster. He said some of it's from the dark ages. Um, there's no sense of momentum about this season for them. So they have to go to Exeter now. Yeah, Joe, I've got it written down here as well. So if you go down, I, I did a lot in the Irish Times talking about their under their academy under nineties and twenties, and uh, you know, and the club, the clubs, amongst the clubs on the weekend, Lansdowne sixty-one, Cork Con twenty-four, Old Belvo forty-one, Shannon seven, you know, University College Cork seventeen, UCD forty-two, Young Munster eight, Trinity Col- uh, Trinity College fifty-seven. Mm. You know, right through the ranks. There's reason in Munster. It's reasons to be um, mm. to be worried, to be concerned. The pipeline certainly isn't brimming. The academy isn't brimming. Uh, two coaches leaving now. The coaches have. It, it, this is the hard part about coaching. If you do the wrong thing and you keep the fact that you're leaving quiet till the end of the year, you're doing the wrong thing by the club where you're currently at. By telling them you're leaving, you're giving them plenty of of um, notice to get organised. But there's very rarely a time when a coach says in June or, sorry, in January or February, I'm going, that the rest of that season is wonderful. Very, very rarely. Mm. Um, Michael Michael Checker did have some in his final year. You know, he, he, he did do some very good things in his final year. But usually um, it, the, the club loses momentum, which is what has occurred at the moment. Having said that, the tactics, so that's one side. Yeah. 
but, but and, and you don't know because you're not in the room. The team might have just not played the tactics. But the tactics that were employed by Munster against Leinster were, were just quite unbelievable, you know. Like, that it wasn't like the, the way that Stephen Larkham, the attack coach, has been setting uh, Munster up for the previous couple of years. It's, they seem to have really taken some backward steps and that may very well be the mood of the camp. But that that's still no excuse to go out and play the way they did. Um, and and you, if you actually go on the highlights uh, of the game um, on, on the... Uh, United Rugby website on on their uh, Zoom, uh, sorry, on their uh, uh, YouTube channel. The first half is just kicks, literally just kicks. All you you do not see Munster pass the ball once. You see Joey Carberry having shots at goal. Now it's a pretty ordinary editing job, but it just sort of tells you something about what was going on out there. So it's not it's not great. Now Exeter aren't in, in fantastic form. They're okay. They're they're fourth in the in the um, Gallagher Premiership, they had a good win on the weekend. Now it's against Bath, who was stone motherless last. But, you know, going to Sandy Park, one thing you've got to do, you've got to be united and you've got to be positive and you've got to play rugby. Um, Because if you just sit back like Munster did against Leinster, you become a punching bag against these guys. You've got to play rugby against Exeter, like uh, Leinster showed last year in in the uh, quarterfinal. So it's it's certainly... um, you know, it's it's a very, very high-pressured situation for, for Munster uh, this weekend. Uh, various observers have made the point that when Ben Healy came off the bench and went to 10 and Casey as well came off the bench at 9 and Joey Carby moved to 15, Munster looked much better. And mm. there is a sense in, in many people's eyes, I think Stuart Lancaster, don't quote me on that, but I have a, a very vague memory of Lancaster saying, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, saying maybe they see Carberry as more of a 15 than a 10. I don't know if I've ever asked that before. Do you see him as a better option at 15 and, and maybe a better use of, of what Munster have at their disposal, potentially? It's an interesting conversation that I've had with Rob Carney and Shane Horgan as well on a couple of occasions. Okay. Um, it, I like Hurley as a 10. Let's start with that one. He's, he's a good player, a really good player. He's got huge potential. I don't think Joey, since his ankle injury, has taken the ball forward as a 10 as he used to. I think he's much more static, and that is not efficient um, attacking play for a a 10. If you watch Sexton or Ross Byrne the other day, because that's the way they're coached at Leinster, you have to be moving onto the ball before you catch it. You can't catch the ball stationary as a 10, because all that does is draw the defence to, to the players outside. You must be moving forward onto the ball on every single occasion unless you're kicking. And even then sometimes it's worthwhile doing it to build some momentum, to get momentum of your body into the kick. But Joey at fullback would have more space. There's no two ways about that. He's not a big man and, and his aerial skills in a box kickathon that some teams would put in to practice against him would be tested. But I don't think it is... It is a, um, a, a proposal that is outrageous. The problem is for Ireland, where does that leave Ireland at 10? Which brings us back to the conversation we had at the beginning about Ross Byrne and Jack Carty. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave us with who is Sexton's replacement? But, you know, Joey is still, he's not back to anywhere near the form he was, 
you know, prior to the long layoff you had after the, um, well, really since before the 2019 World Cup, he hasn't had any decent run of games mm. to get to build to build up his his self belief, and as I said, to get that forward momentum, and that takes Joe. That, that's a lot of confidence, Joe. Like because as a ten, you've only got half a second or a second on the ball while the, while the defence is coming at you. You've got to make decisions. So your automatic reaction is to is to stay still to give yourself more time. So that's why Sexton is so great. He does everything counterintuitively. He denies himself space and time by taking the ball forward because he's just so confident in his own abilities. And that's what makes him one of the great players of all time. Mm. And, and, and if we look across the across the the ditch, the water to to um, Marcus Smith, look at him with with Harlequins, fantastic attacking player for England. He was so deep and in the pocket, not moving on the ball. England and England's attack was horrible. His kicking game was magnificent. But Marcus Smith' ability to, to get attack going for England was suffering because of the exact same problems that Joey has at the moment. Okay. Well, we'll see how that develops over the coming weeks. We're here with Matt Williams. Our rugby coverage and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Two last quick points before I let you go. So, Women's Six Nations continues. Round three this weekend. Ireland beaten in Toulouse, as you referenced earlier on, 40 points to five by the French. They now play Italy at Musgrave Park on Sunday. They lost their first home game against Wales with the uh, Sevens crew departing the scene after round three and England to come and then Scotland in the last round. This Italian game, uh, if they're going to win a game, seems um, readily available and very important. Uh, Some of the stats from the game in Toulouse, 18 Handling errors, Ireland lost five lineouts uh, once again, as with the Welsh game scrum and in big trouble. John Fogarty and Paul O'Connell in touch with the uh, Greg McWilliams coaching ticket to try and help things. And look, there's, there's a lot to fix there, and it's a very young team. And yet, you've got to be fair and, and accept as well. I think I think they're all going into camp until maybe Thursday, maybe Thursday evening, because they all have jobs. And there's a lot to get right, and you can overload a group. So. Uh, I don't know, you know, as a coach, that's a, a real challenge. Um, up front, set piece, skill set, and a few other things besides to get through. Yeah, mate, it's, 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 you're right, Joe. There's, there's sort of, when we describe it, you, you know, you don't want to bash onto the players or put them down. And, but in the same breath, you, you've got to be honest, you know, and, and, and also say, look, you know, some of those things, are not it's not things you got you should be do, better at because you go into camp on Monday, Sunday night, or Thursday. Now going into camp on Thursday is outrageous for me. You know this, that's wrong. They should be in camp much longer in the week. I, I you know, when we, I used to coach Island A, we'd go in on Wednesday and play yeah. Friday. Now that was it was unbelievably difficult. You basically can't do anything. You just got a few little bits of organisation, but you're also dealing with guys in my case, in the A side, that were full-time professionals with their clubs. So you're bringing in a lot of space. And then over a period of the Six Nations, you don't change a huge amount when you've got that. So they come in with some prior knowledge as well. But you've got to rely on the players. Hey, make your tackles, get your passes right, and whatever our system is, stick with the system. And the problem was not the only problem, but some of the problems with the scrums was that the back five were bailing out of scrums. So in other words, they just scrum's still going on, and they're, they're they're basically breaking, leaving the front rowers to themselves. 
Now, it wasn't the only problem, but you've got no hope if, if you're back five in a scrum are not scrummaging. You can't blame the front row if the five, five people behind bail out halfway through the scrum. And I saw that on a number of occasions. But the things that, that, that the individual players have got to bring is just their passing. Well, you can't throw balls in the touch. There's a couple of players in that back line who cannot pass off both hands. And, and you could see that was just obvious when they came to their bad hand, they really struggled with their pass. Now, that's, got nothing, that, that's working every day of your life, like every professional player, whether you're amateur or not. It's not about money. It's about your professional standards. And if you're going to play for your country, you've got to be working at both hands. And it's not for a, a six hours every day. It's for 30 minutes every day of your life. As I used to say, Ollie Campbell was an amateur. He'd drive around Ireland selling tyres and he'd pull over the side of the road every single day, either at 5 a.m., lunchtime or 6 p.m., find a GAA ground and kick goals. Now, to be passing off both hands, it's literally that. you just got to find a corridor in a, in a house or an office and spend 30 minutes every day passing with one, with your hand, one hand to develop that hand. It, it, that sort of thing is not about camp. Mm. So, so there's sort of two problems here. It's the support of the IRFU for, the, for, the, for the, the, the national women's team, which is not good enough, in my opinion. And I don't think there's anyone around the rugby community that would disagree with that. But on the other hand, there is the responsibility of the individual athlete to the team. And that is making your tackles, making your passes. And whatever system you're in, stick with it. You can't change that halfway through the game. Otherwise, you get that disaster. That disaster. You know, losing your lineouts, losing your scrums, throwing the ball away. There's probably one other aspect, Joe, which is I don't know if it's fitness, but there was a good period in the second half where the Irish team were besieged by the French team, but they made their tackles and they tackled and they tackled and they tackled. And they got up to about 11 phases, but not on one of those phases did anyone get in and contest the ball. Right. So that contestability is a, they call it a race for space. So that's, that's a bit of desire, and and I'm not sure that that team believed themselves enough to get in there. They turned the ball over, and on the very first tackle, the French went in and contested on the on the the, the ball on the on the tackle. So, you know, the, 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 you, we, we've got to we've got to when we talk about that problem, we've got to put it up into the areas that it is. So it's not just in one area; it's it's across a number of areas. And you're right, solving that on a Thursday, playing on on the Saturday and Sunday. That, that's a tough ask for any – that's imp- an impossible ask for any case. The players have got to turn up ready to rock for that. Yeah. I mean, I think they did have a skills session on a Tuesday evening, but again, it's not quite in camp. It's more of a session. Uh, very last point, terribly sad because this guy was a player. Dan Levy retired at 27. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, very sad. Joe, you know, you and I have had these conversations over the years and I was just thinking, you know, when, when I was playing and, and later, this was a very common thing because medical science now fixes most things. If you did a cartilage in your knee in the 1970s, you were finished. So we were sort of more used to guys having to give it away in their mid, early 20s, late 20s because of a shoulder or a knee mm. or ankles. That was that they were the three. And they would, they would give it away because they just couldn't repair it. And obviously the damage on um, to the knee is has just been too much. And, and our, you know, Give Dan Levy full credit for taking the medical advice and listening to the experts and saying, look, I'm disappointed, heartbroken, 
and he'll have a mourning period where he mourns his career, like we all, everyone that's been in it has to do. But he's smart enough to do that and he'll get on with his, his life and he'll make, by, by make his life a great success. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be uh, sad for him and upset for him and he's going to need his, his old mates and his rugby community to stick with him, not just tonight. The hard part comes in a, in a couple of weeks, even months, because your identity is you are a rugby player, a rugby coach, you are, you are, what am I? I am. And all of a sudden you're not. Mm. And, and that's when it gets, that's when it gets tough for, for everyone. Everyone in the game feels it. Some get it worse than others, but everyone in the game feels it. And I, I'm sure that he's an intelligent enough man to get that support around him to get it through those days where you feel, you feel a bit lost. Mm. Well, we wish him well. Yep. Matt Williams, thanks so much. Pleasure, Jack. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.